You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here, as always. Thank you all so much for tuning in for a new episode of the show. We're here in the offseason, so we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Last week's episode, we talked about kind of putting a bow on the season, so if you haven't a chance to go back and listen to that yet, uh, please do on YouTube or on your podcast catcher of choice. Speaking of which, if you're not subscribed yet, please do here on YouTube or if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on the your podcast catcher of choice, please subscribe there as well. And please, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review because that really actually helps out the podcast a lot. You may not think it does, but the more reviews and stuff you get, the, the more written reviews especially, helps you kind of show up more on the Apple Podcasts, uh, things like that as well. So kind of on the recommendations and stuff like that. So if you guys leave a, a five-star review and leave actual written review, we will read that here on air. We really want to appreciate uh, the three who've done it already before and the 11 people who've left a, left a five-star reviews in total uh, on Apple Podcasts. And you can do the same on Spotify. I don't think you leave a written review now, but you can at least give a five-star rating on Spotify. So we'd really appreciate all you all doing that. Appreciate all of you all and giving us the support you have so far. But Gene, let's dive into it here because this episode is going to be dedicated to roster talk. And I think a lot of people have been looking forward to this one and I've gotten several questions about roster stuff uh, ever since the season ended pretty much or really even close to when the season wasn't even over with yet in, in terms of just looking ahead at stuff. But Tennessee's had a lot happen in the last, what, two, three weeks roster wise at this point. Uh, just this week alone, there's been two or three different uh, stories and headlines for roster for Tennessee. Uh, let's kind of go back a little bit to, I guess, kind of the beginning of the roster movement for Tennessee. And that was when Victor Bailey Jr. put his name into the transfer portal, transferred to George Mason. We talked about that last week. Uh, wasn't a huge surprise that he transferred, and the destination wasn't a huge surprise either because he's going to go play with Kim English, who was a former assistant at Tennessee, now the head coach at George Mason. I think it's a really good fit for him at George Mason. Since then, uh, this week, actually both in the same day, you also had uh, Kennedy Chandler declare for the NBA draft and his message and Santiago Vescovi's message. I guess technically Vescovi was the first uh, quote-unquote domino to fall, if I remember the timelines right. I don't actually remember who did what first, but Vescovi put out a message that he said he's putting his name into the NBA draft consideration, going to go through the, the process, the evaluation process. Uh, and he said Rick Barnes actually really encouraged him to do that but he will be maintaining his collegiate eligibility, which to me kind of signifies that unless he gets like really super positive reviews, which I think he'll get some positive reviews, but unless he gets like, Hey, we think you can push your way into late early second, late first round, which I don't think will happen. Uh, I think he's coming back next year. He may, he may try to go overseas, but he also may go ahead and just try to graduate and, and then go overseas, you know, when he's done at UT. So I, I think Vesky will be an act next year, but there's definitely a difference Gene, between the, the messages posted by Vescovy and Chandler. And of course, Chandler also went on ESPN to announce that you, you don't go on ESPN as a true freshman to announce you're coming back for a second season. So uh, he announced he's going to go to the NBA. Uh, wishing the best of luck. We'll talk about him in just a second. But on the same day, like just a couple hours after that, you also had the announcement uh, from, I forget who it was I saw first report it, but that redshirt freshman, or I guess true freshman who redshirted this year, uh, Andre Tamba, the 6'11", 
post player who played Knoxville Catholic and you know, it wasn't technically from Knoxville Catholic, but he played, he played in, in East Tennessee, uh, put his name in the transfer portal as well, even though he reclassified and then sat out this entire year for redshirt. I think that move kind of surprised me a little bit, Gene, because he's a guy who, I mean, he re- reclassified to get to Tennessee this year. Seemed like the team liked him. Seemed like, you know, there's a bunch of videos and stuff of him doing the gritty and stuff during, after games and when victories for Tennessee. Seemed like he got along well with the teammates there. And I was kind of surprised he elected to transfer when and maybe, maybe playing time next year wasn't going to be, you know, big for him because you have a, a lot of returning bigs for Tennessee. But the year after that, when he's, a, you know, his third year in the program, I, I feel like there was a good chance for him to make it. But maybe not. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know the reasoning behind it. I don't want to speculate too much or anything like that either. But that's kind of been the moves. You have Chandler gone to the NBA, Bailey gone to George Mason, Vescovy putting his name in, but probably back. And then Tomba gone as well. So that's three guys departed so far from uh, the roster from this past season. A fourth one, kind of a limbo, but you feel pretty decent about him coming back, kind of like you look at Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. I guess Grant's a bad example. Uh, Admiral Schofield putting his name into the the draft process and then coming back for his senior year, you know, that it feels kind of similar to that. But there's also a good chance, I think, of a, a potential third player transferring. I don't know, you know, who it could be or who, who it would be exactly, but there seem to be a lot of talk around the program, you know, from people who cover it extensively day in and day out, that there's a, a very strong chance there's a third player transferring. Uh, don't you know, I don't want to throw out names, I don't want to speculate on anybody, but I, I would not be shocked to see a third person transfer off the roster. But Gene, before we kind of get into all the departures, what since he's losing, who they could be targeting, bringing in, I do want to talk about Kennedy Chandler and thoughts on his NBA potential because um, I think the mock drafts I've seen from him are kind of all over the place. Some people have him as a, as a mid first round pick. Some people don't have him going until I think early second round, like in the, the, in the thirties in the second round, I mean, first, you know, first 10 picks in second round, I guess, but I, I've seen him kind of all over the place. Most of, most of the ones have him in the first round from the mock drafts I've seen. Cause I think just based on his talent and his, his skill level alone, but obviously his size is a big knock. Um, I, I think there's been a lot of different things about his consistency, his free throw shooting, especially has been, it was an issue this year too, but I think you can speak to it more than I can because I watched the NBA, but it's definitely a lot more casually. Um, mostly just watch the Celtics because they're the team I, I root for and like. So I don't I don't get to watch. I don't really watch too much else out there for the NBA. And I, I will I will say I will watch sometimes Memphis and Ja Morant because that that is worth watching. Because Ja is an incredible player. But I'm curious your thoughts on kind of what you think the NBA potential is for Kennedy Chandler. Is he a guy that? is a we've we've talked a little bit about it here on the show before but we haven't really talked about it extensively in months so i think it's, it's kind of good to revisit it is he a guy you think is a as a legit first round talent is he a guy that sticks around in the nba for a while like what do you, it's hard to i mean we don't know but in your opinion you know what is the nba talent of kennedy chandler i think it's gonna be a road um i think there's certainly going to be a long road ahead of him um because I just don't have a good player comparison for him. Like, there's just not like he could be, you know, the whole one of one type stuff. Like, you know, Lamella Ball uses one of one. But again, just look around the league. I mean, it's not. I, I can't think of man. Like, even somebody as small as John Morant's like six two, six three, and he's the next level of athleticism too. Um, again, the comparison I think that's been made 
to Kennedy Chandler and Sharif Cooper from Auburn. And people have suggested that that could be the type of role that Chandler would have to take. Um, He could easily be late first round, early second round pick. I don't know what that means anymore because the G League is now, it is so much more prevalent. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at, look at the two kids that were drafted last year. Neither one of them spent much time in the NBA. And one of those kids was a lottery pick or right outside. I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah, I mean, like I I do think that it's, there's a road ahead of them, um, a long road ahead because people can look around and just not be able to understand how this player that they saw be great a game or, you know, a month or a season uh, doesn't have, it's not all of a sudden, not all, all over, not plastered all, all over like every single draft board. It's like a top five, top 10 pick. I mean, the last time that you really went that high on a draft pick that I can recall, I mean, I guess that draft that, um, that, that Curry was in where there was a point guard that went to Minnesota. It wasn't Ricky Rubio. There was, they took another point guard that year um, who I think played it Villanova or something like that. But he was very, he wasn't big and, you know, needless to say, he did not pan out. Um, and, and there was, cause I think there was a joke that, okay, Minnesota had back-to-back picks and neither one of those picks was, um, Steph Curry. And, yeah, it was uh, uh, Johnny Flynn. Yeah, Johnny Flynn. I, I, Syracuse. Yeah. So, yep. mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I, I don't remember his size. Like, I feel like he was, he may have been like six one ish in that range. Yep. So six, it's, it's, he's currently listed right now as six foot one ninety four. But only was right. kind of high school, or coming out of college. But that's what he is right now at age thirty three. Right. So, and he hadn't played in the NBA in quite some time, and. I understand that there is a road and I understand that G league is all this, that and the other, like sometimes it's just not fair. Um, because I do think that there are, there are people who will get solely get opportunities, you know, to play at that level just because they're big, you know, because basketball is a big man's game. Uh, it's a tall man's game more than a big man's game. And it's probably not fair what's about to transpire with Kennedy Chandler um, because you've watched that kid be elite and the kid can't help the fact, you know, I mean, thank God that his family did not like tie him to a bedpost and try to stretch him out to make him six, four um, <laughs> because like, I, I'm just looking and it's just, I, I just don't know exactly how it works out for him. I, and look, I, I will gladly be wrong. I will gladly be wrong there, but I just don't know how it works itself out for this kid to be anything more than, than a G league player who may get a call up at some point. I mean, obviously you see how fluid these situations are. Uh, Congrats to, you know, obviously Eve Pons who, you know, as my former boss used to always say all the time is getting a cup of coffee in, you know, what in the league right now and in a good place. But he's also six six with like extreme athleticism. Um, there's a difference there, and like I will gladly be wrong there, but I don't see a scenario where 
Yeah, he could be, I think Sharif Cooper went 41 in the draft he was in. I don't remember. Somewhere in that range. He was in the 40s. Yeah, I just looked it up yeah. a second ago. Yeah, so that's basically what you're talking about. And Sharif probably had a, in totality, may have had a slightly better season. Now, one positive, one advantage that Kennedy Chandler has is I don't, there's nothing surrounding Sharif. I mean, him. Whereas I felt like there was always, I felt like there were some circumstances I don't remember. I felt like there were some circumstances around Sharif, maybe at Auburn, like it was a late start. Yeah, uh, he had he was, had eligibility stuff. issues. Like, I can't remember yeah. what exactly it was now either. We talked about it on this podcast, actually, <laughs> when it happened. I don't, yeah, and I don't remember if those were things that necessarily, those aren't, I don't think they were bad enough to really affect draft stock type stuff. But I, I feel like, you know, Kennedy is going in there with a much cleaner slate per se. Yeah, he he missed the first has, uh, twelve games of the fr- his freshman season due to investigation on his into his eligibility. Uh, Cooper did right, but that and you know like but that that, that you know the NBA doesn't care about that. Yeah, like you know you know what was what was it for? Oh, okay, some sort of recruiting stuff. Okay, we don't care about that. You know, like it, it's just true, just the fact of the matter. I mean. The, you're going to, if a kid is good enough, we're going to look over some of the stuff. Because last time I checked, DeAndre Ayton, uh, nobody had any issues with all the stuff that surrounded him at Arizona. <laughs> and that kid's fighting for a contract right now in the NBA. So um, we'll see. Um, I, I don't see a scenario where that kid's on an opening day roster, but I do see a scenario where that kid is drafted late first round, early second round. And if he can get into the right situation, you never know. Um, how big Davion Mitchell's like six two, right? Like even just the difference there between Davion Mitchell being six two and Kennedy Chandler being six foot, like it's weird that that's that those lines are. I mean that those metrics are that little. Mitchell's he's listed as, as six foot, six foot two o two. So he's like you know beefier he's than Kennedy, but yeah, six foot. Yeah, and like so, look if that's. Like the game is changing. I'll say this: like that, the game is changing in real time. Like Steph Curry changed all the metrics there. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's there probably a scenario, but then you're looking around and it's like how? Because it's you know it's not like because Mitchell was like a bulldog. You said you just said he's 202 pounds. Chandler has he seen 185? <laughs> what are they listening to? Yeah, so. Like that's it's little stuff, but I do think that those little things kind of matter. Um, and you know, heaven forbid. I mean, I understand you you want to get the opportunity, but the good thing about uh, Johnson and Springer is that they both ended up on playoff caliber teams, so they kind of got stashed away to where they can kind of develop um, off the radar. Whereas, like you know, you get somebody like Kennedy, you know, like Chandler who goes to a place like say Sacramento or um, I'm trying to think of one of these other, just Orlando or wherever, where basically careers go to die. You know, it's unfortunate since there's a former ball that plays for Orlando right now in Admiral Schofield, but that, you know, Orlando is like last chance you. <laughs> and I, and it's unfortunate because, you know, they're an NBA team. You know, shout out to Steve McGargan, uh, former AP writer, huge, um, 
you know, huge Orlando Magic fan. I feel bad. Keeps for him. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And it's, yeah, and, you know, it's, he's, I, I respect that because he, he, so he strongly supports a loser. Um, <laughs> and it's not one of those. He, he does, he does it with his chest. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you certainly hope the bigger thing I think for Chandler would be if he is, you'd almost, him, you almost rather him be a late first round pick or a late second round pick because the people who pick early, even with the draft lottery are typically stinky teams and you get into the Knicks or one of those sorts of teams that's out there fighting the lottery or whatever, the Lakers, it's weird to say that this year, but yeah, I mean, like you want to make sure the most important thing is to make sure that he gets himself into a good situation, which he has zero control over because it's a draft. But he could I, I would lean more early second round as opposed to late first round. I think for him, I think for him, late first round would potentially be better. Um, but I could easily see him sliding into the thirties somewhere. That's usually what happens. Yeah, I'm looking at one now from uh, Sam Vecini, who we've mentioned before. You've mentioned you know, being a big fan of his from The Athletic. Um, had a mock draft, I think, over this past weekend, which is before Chandler had officially declared for the draft, but it was pretty uh, well-known he was going to do that. Uh, he listed Chandler as a, quote, substantial riser in his kind of mock draft, thanks to his play at the end of the season. Uh, he projected Kennedy to be taken with the number 18 overall pick, by the San Antonio Spurs via the Toronto Raptors. So that would be interesting to see him because I think there's also a, a current vol with the Spurs right now, isn't there? There's a, oh man, I'm trying to remember who was with the Spurs. He's, he's not playing a whole lot, but there, there's a former vol player who's with the Spurs right now. I cannot remember who it is. Um, but you also, you mentioned before you kind of get back to Kenny Chandler, Keon Johnson was drafted by a, a, you know, a team that I think could, could be, you know, would be a good place for him to learn and develop, but then he got shipped off to Portland where now they're playing all the young players. So he's getting an opportunity to play and he's been shining. Uh, that's what we did out from the Vol Hoops fever Twitter account that he's averaging like in his last six games, like almost 16 points per game. He's making 40 something percent of his threes in like 30 minutes per game. So he's getting a chance to play not, on, not on a good team, but I'll be interested to see if Portland holds on to him or if they end up trading him again. But uh, it's been nice to see Keon get some minutes here in the last uh, couple weeks for the trailblazers, even though blazers are, 100% tanking right now. But yeah, I think, um, again, here's more of evaluation from Vicini on uh, on Chandler. So he's another substantial riser up the board. By the end of the season, he was one of the best point guards in college basketball, dictating the pace of play, using his speed not just to blow by the opposition, but also to change gears more effectively. He also used pressure. Uh, he also pressured hard at the point of attack, along with fellow guard Zakai Ziegler, forcing teams into difficult situations. He won the MVP, all blah, 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 blah. But other things on here kind of some knocks on his game, which I think are fair. I don't totally trust the jumper, but there's enough of a chance that he can fix it, given his improvement over the last portion of the season. And his uh, defensive aggression gives him a shot, despite being small. So I think that's... I, I, I think Sam Vizzini does a really good job with... Um, kind of draft evaluation stuff. And I think it's, I mean, that's, that's pretty fair. Uh, Gene, that's stuff that we've kind of said all, all along about him. I, I think he did improve a lot as the season went along and you saw a lot of his improvement with his offensive game, but also defensively, he, he had some lapses early in the year and struggled a lot with consistency early in the season. 
with his defense. But again, a lot better as the season went along, obviously with a lot of his steals. But you can have a lot of steals and still be a mediocre overall defensive player. He did a better job of not letting other you know, of the opposing guards blow by him uh, as often as he, he kind of did earlier in the year. I think looking back at a, a here at ESPN, uh, I think oh, that was in March. Never mind, that's that's an old one, but they had him kind of going in the around the mid. A lot of the ones here that I'm looking at an article on Rocky Top Insider that was written by Rick Butler. Uh, a lot of the mock drafts recently here at the kind of end of March and the beginning of April have had Kennedy anywhere in kind of that number uh, 15-ish spot to like 20. So kind of the 20 to 15 range is where a lot of people have had him. It looks like you have 18 to the Timberwolves, 19 with uh, the Bulls there, uh, Gene, your team, the Bulls picking him at 19. And then number 17 with the Pacers is kind of another one that, that, that's that been thrown around there too. Bring him. Bring him. We'll take him. We need a point guard. Lonzo Ball's hurt. Can he, can he suit up tomorrow? Because I don't think I got Lonzo Ball the rest of the season. Um, I'll take him with my wings. I got good wings. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's man, it's it's so important to me. You know, you really hope that this kid just gets himself to a good situation. Yeah, um, that kid hasn't lost a lot in life. Mm. He hasn't. You know, in in high school he didn't. When he went to prep school he didn't. At Tennessee he didn't. Like they were good this year. Like so, the worst thing. Like you get some of these kids, and they play for years. You know, four, five, six years of high school ball of AEU, and then they go to their rookie year, and they're in a bad situation. And like, like take Jalen Suggs for example. You know, they kids down in Orlando, and I imagine that this kid has not lost as much in his time in high school playing football and basketball to his one year at Gonzaga, you add all those years, all that stuff together. They have not, he did not lose as much as he did this year. And that's tough. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying like, you kind of want to make sure the kid gets himself into a good situation. Uh, This isn't recruiting. You have no control over it. And so like, it's, it's why NFL draft people are like, it's better to, you know, not get drafted if you're not going to be early like because you don't want to get you know you want to have some say so in your choice um like you want to have some say so but you don't and it's a credit to how good of a player you are and Kenny Chandler's a really good player uh again I think the concerns about his height whatever um but I thought consistently you know I mean I think against Michigan he was as good of a player as I was on the court I know everybody says the best player it's fine if that's if that's your metric uh he was as dominating as anybody that was on the court that night, that day. Um, you know, and, and like that was kind of who he was, MVP of the SEC tournament. All that stuff does matter. He was good. He was really good. And I think he deserves a spot. But, you know, like just getting into college is only a small part of the battle. You know, it's like, you know, you actually have to produce in college, whether it's academics, athletics, whatever, you know, professional ranks is the same thing. Like just getting drafted. That's not the end game. Right. Like it's not. And so. Like you've got to, you know, so many people say it's not getting drafted, it's getting that second contract. Mm -hmm. That's the important thing. 
And so it'll be important for him once he once he learns where he's going to kind of figure out exactly what he has to do to get to that second contract. If he's got to do some G League time, if he's got to be like Jordan Bone was that year, just keep going up and down, up, back and forth, back and forth, whatever it takes, man. Because, like, that's a kid who deserves to be able to showcase what he can do at that level. He does. He does. I never thought Mac McClung would, would put on an NBA jersey, and he did. Um, so, like, if he just – I mean – He's good enough to get an opportunity. We'll see where he ends up at late first round, early second round, whatever, mid first round, all that stuff. Um, and then we'll see on the podcast. We'll break it down from that point forward. But um, I think the important thing is that, you know, the kid has made a choice, uh, has a chance to take advantage of it. And, you know, so shout out to him for that. Really quickly before we move on to Tennessee, like more specifically Tennessee, moving forward talk uh, if he does get drafted in the top 20 in the first round gene he'll be the first vol in 11 years to get drafted in the, with the top 20 pick and that'd be you know since tobias harris in 2011 who went 19 overall uh, and actually he'd only be the fourth vol in the last since alan houston in 1993 to be drafted in the top 20 picks in the nba because houston went number 11 overall in 93 hayslip went uh number 13 overall to the uh to the bucks in 2002 and then of course tobias went number 19 overall so if he gets drafted top 20 he'll he'll do something that only four vols have done since i've been alive so the four vols in the past 30 years uh have done and that is get drafted in top 20 because technically i mean keon was very close he got drafted 21 overall and then of course jade springer was drafted 28 so uh, they got close and grant was 22 uh back to in the celtics in 2019 so a couple guys have gotten close to that top 20 mark but tennessee hasn't had a guy get drafted in the top 20 since Tobias Harris went 19 overall. And he's had a pretty good career, obviously very different type of player than Kennedy Chandler also. But uh, Gene, let's let's look now at Tennessee uh, moving forward here to the offseason. Just mentioned it a little while ago. Chandler gone, uh, Tomba gone, Bailey gone, Vescovy not really gone. Uh, I think he'll come back next year. So right now you have three uh, three open spots in the roster you are technically already have one of those filled because you have BJ Edwards uh, signed in this class and he's coming in. So technically two open spots right now, uh, John Ferguson leaving doesn't open up uh, before he mentions it. him leaving doesn't open up a spot because he was using his COVID year. So that didn't, you know, that was an extra scholarship Tennessee had for this past season. And once he's gone, it's just as a race off there. Tennessee doesn't have, he doesn't open up another spot for Tennessee to use this year because they were already technically over the limit of what a normal year would be, but all the COVID stuff gave teams additional uh, roster spots for the time being uh, due to, you know, giving teams the extra, extra year of eligibility for those seniors and stuff who wanted to use, you know, a super senior season due to COVID. So Fulgerson leaving doesn't open up a spot, uh, but he is gone from this, this team's roster. Kenny Chandler gone. So those are your two biggest losses. Kenny Chandler team's leading scorer teams, you know, the starting point guard, your arguably your most talented prospect, or most talented player on the roster, uh, the MVP of the SEC tournament. He's gone. Fulgerson, your uh, sixth-year player, a guy who uh, set the record for most games played at Tennessee because he's around for forever. Uh, he is gone. And he, he you know, to his credit, he played better down the stretch, but he, it just obviously was not the same Fulgerson we saw from a couple of years ago. It, injuries and, and COVID and stuff affected him a lot. Uh, and it was very evident. He, he still had some very good moments during this past season, but, you know, I think losing him 
is a blow, but it's not one that Tennessee can't recover from uh, for sure. It, and Tennessee has a lot of good returning players in the post moving, moving ahead here. But you lose Victor Bailey Jr., who would have been a bigger loss last year, but again, didn't contribute a ton this year, um, and, and especially in games that mattered. And then Tamba didn't play because he redshirted. Again, there's a good chance there's a third guy leaving, but I don't expect it to be a guy who made significant contributions this year for Tennessee. Like, I'm not expecting you know, a Josiah Jordan James to transfer or to go to the NBA. Um, so I, I think he'll, he'll be back. Ziegler should be back. Camaw, I, I hope returns like fully healthy for next year. And then you have probably Brendan Huntley Hatfield as well. Urosh back for next season. And I believe Vescovy will be back as well. I think he'll end up coming back to Tennessee for his senior season. So Gene, looking at the roster, how it is right now, looking at what you've lost, looking at kind of the makeup for next season, or at least kind of early on right here in the month of April, looking ahead to what you have here in the summer, potentially it's already, you know, we're already seeing Tennessee has reached out to a few different uh, transfer options. One that's really been giving a lot of attention is a guy named Nigel Pack out of Kansas state, who is a six foot one eighty guard. So about the same size as Kennedy Chandler, but he isn't really a point. He, he's kind of a point guard. He, he doesn't have, like, he, he wasn't used mainly as Kansas state's point guard this past year. He's more of a he's more of a shooter, to be honest. He's a guy that can do some point stuff, but he isn't your your starting point guard, ideally. I would say his first year at Kansas State, he averaged twelve point seven points, three point eight assists, one point two steals, three point seven rebounds, and uh, but two turnovers per game as well. Shot forty point five percent from three on six attempts from three per game. This past season for Kansas State. 17.4 points, 2.2 assists. So again, it shows to me like he's not, he wasn't the leading point guard for Kansas State. One and a half turnovers per game, uh, 1.3 steals, 3.8 assist, or 3.8 rebounds, excuse me. But Gene, he shot seven and a half three pointers per game this year. He, he shot 218 threes total this season. It made 43.6% of them. That's that's absurd. That's an extremely high percentage. And he wasn't just shooting one or two per game. He shot 218 threes in 29 games for Kansas State. That has that's got to be one of the better percentages, one of the highest shooting percentages, especially for volume amount of threes attempted in the entire country. And he did it in, in a Big 12. That um, I mean, Big 12 was pretty good this year. They, they were, I think, largely one of the them in the SEC were considered two of the best regular season. Um, I guess conferences in in this in in the whole thing this year and looking at his big 12 numbers uh he averaged 18.6 points so even he averaged even more points per game in big 12 play than he did uh in other games this year and shot 43.3 percent from three in big 12 games and he wasn't too bad from two like looking overall in the season he shot uh just under 48 percent uh, from two so 45.5 percent overall and 84.5 percent from the free throw line didn't get the free throw line a ton but he normally sink them when he got there. That's an intriguing guy to me. Uh, there's been other guys are reaching out to the, really the biggest uh, recruiting guy at Tennessee is looking at is Julian Phillips, who was one at one time committed to um, LSU actually, actually, I guess signed with LSU and got out of his, his NLI um, and is now a, a, a hot commodity on the, uh, the 2022 class. And Tennessee is, is really zeroed in on him. Uh, he is a guy who I think we talked about a little bit last week, Gene, he's a former, he's a five-star prospect He's a guy who is listed as a power four, but he's 6'8", 200. So he's more of a, to me, small forward type of guy, more of a kind of a, almost kind of, I guess, kind of like a wing, I guess you could say, but he, he's a guy who's getting a ton of attention from uh, a bunch of different schools. And Tennessee is also looking at um, Mark, Ren how is his name? 
he's a he's a a guy who was once uh, committed to Florida, who is a post player, Malik Reno. That's his name. He is a another five star who played at Montverde Academy, which Tennessee's gotten some players from there. Uh, six eight two ten. So again, I guess kind of around the same size actually as Phillips. But he's a one time committed to Florida. He's also a five star in this class. Tennessee's I think is, is interested in him. Is looking at him. It is trying to get more traction there. But I don't think there's. I don't know. If there's a whole lot of traction. They've have they have visited him and seen him and everything. But um, I don't know that Tennessee. I don't think they probably feel great about where they are right now. But I also don't know like what his timeline is exactly. But all that to get to this point, Gene, of you have two open spots right now, potentially a third one coming open, depending on if another guy transfers out. What do you think Tennessee's biggest position of need is? Because I, I think there's, to me, it seems like they're looking at a lot of the names that it seems like Tennessee's been tied to in the transfer portal have been experienced guards slash experienced point guards, or kind of like a combo guard type of situation, like, like a Nigel Pack, who is a, a pretty pretty I think it's pretty confident to say that's, that's a pretty good combo guard type of guy who's a really good sharpshooter from three uh, but also can dish out some assists if needed but it seems to me like that's what Tennessee is really zeroing in on but you and I are talking before we hit record here for the podcast of uh, a potential a big man who I think of course Tennessee looking at Malik Renault as well as a recruit but a potential big man who's transferring who I, I think Tennessee absolutely should be looking at and I'd be a little surprised that they aren't um, that is Jake Stevens, who played at VMI, who's 6'10", uh, 266 this past year for VMI, which, you know, well, they weren't, weren't a great team, but it doesn't matter. Uh, looking at what he can do specifically, he averaged almost 20 points, 19.6 points per game, nine rebounds, three assists, which is pretty good for a 3.3 assists, which is really good for a big man, and two blocks per game. And Gene, he attempted five threes per game. And he made 49% of those threes. He, he attempted 151 threes this past season and made 49% of them. That's an absurd amount. And looking at his previous numbers, they were nowhere close to that. But he still was a, over a 30, uh, 31%, 33% uh, three-point shooter in his previous three seasons at VMI. So as a big man in his career, he's attempted 499 threes. So basically 500 three-pointers in four years at VMI. And he made 37.9% of them. That's that's like the, the stretch four, stretch five that Tennessee really could use I think uh I mean I guess Olivier Camel is kind of like that as well not to that same degree but I think Gene that it's pretty apparent Tennessee is really looking for an experience to guard so that it doesn't have to fall on a sophomore Sakai Ziegler and true freshman BJ Edwards next year um because I think BJ is very talented but he's not I don't think he has I don't think he has the acumen and the IQ that Kennedy Chandler does and that's not a knock on BJ I think that was it's more of a praise of Kennedy that that just was such a high you know, point of his game was his his high basketball IQ along with his other, you know, physical talents and skills. So I think Tennessee makes sense that they're going after some experienced uh, point guards slash combo guards. But I also really do think they really do need to go find a, a post player because I, I, I've seen a lot of people being more bullish on Tennessee's returning front court next year than I, than I feel like. And maybe it's, maybe that's just, maybe I'm being too, I guess, pessimistic. But I, I think if Camwell returns and is healthy, I, I love his potential. I I want to see it. I, I kind of need to see it to believe it from Huntley Hatfield in terms of his development to see if he can take that next step because I like some things we saw from him this year, but he's really got to kick it into gear next year if Tennessee can have a viable front court of him, Kamwa, and then Urosh being your your backup. And I think Adu has a high potential, but I don't, again, I don't expect Adu to be a guy next season that you're wanting to play 20 minutes a game. So 
I think Tennessee would do really well to go get experienced big man who can be and I, I, I don't know like an enforcer or a stretch like I, I kind of go back and forth on that because I, I, I could see the merit in either one of those options but Gene I, I think to me it makes sense to go get a, an experienced point guard but I really think you got to go get a, a big at some point like I don't it doesn't have to be you know a Walker Kessler type or anything like that a guy who's going to be coming and be an instant impact you know starter and defensive player of the year but I think you got to get some sort of big man in, in, in this transfer portal I don't I don't know again what role that exactly to fill but some role some way somehow i think a guy who's six nine or, or taller tennessee needs to go try to find that in, in the in the transfer portal along with an experience of veteran guard presence as well sure and I, I do think let me start here um i understand the infatuation with julian phillips mm-hmm. i truly do but I'll say this. I was thinking about this last week. Uh, and I probably not the only one to think about this. Julian Phillips was a, was a five star. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, with plenty of options. And he chose LSU. Why did LSU's coach lose his job? <laughs> so. Like it would just be interesting to me to see. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe he was really. Maybe he took his his official visit down there, and he loved walking along the cage where the lion, where the tiger is. I don't know. Um, maybe that's reckless speculation. I don't know. But um, let's just say I feel like somebody's going to pay that tab, and. Like it feels like you've got to get into some muddy waters potentially for a guy like that, that Tennessee may not be willing to go down. I mean, look, is that fair? Probably not. Especially as a lot of this stuff is above water now because of NIL. Um, But it just feels as though, look, man, I'd, I'd openly say, that when I worked with LSU's former head coach, he was a friend that I talked to. We obviously don't need more. Um, but in that time, we built a friendship, and it was cool. So, um, so I, but I also am keenly aware um, <laughs> of what transpired, uh, what was on the audio tape. And so it, it just it just stands to reason that that may not have been a, the easiest recruitment. So I don't know. Is that the road you want to go down? I don't know. I think there's a reason why Tennessee's going up to what seem should be going after more experienced bigs. I think I've I haven't seen as much on uh, the Twitter.com as to Tennessee's recruiting stuff just consumed with a lot of, a lot of different things right now, but yeah, I do think that, you know, the Phillips one is an interesting one. Um, you keep saying that there could be a third and I don't want to speculate, but I've got a name in my mind and um, I don't want to say there's necessarily a log jam inside, but it feels like there's a piece in that rotation. Like I don't count Tom, but no disrespect to the kid. I uh, wish him the best. I mean, if he ends up in Chattanooga, I'll cover him. I'll tell a story. 
Um, but I always felt like that was one of those Drew Pember type signings. And, uh, and if you know what I'm meaning, you know what I mean. And, um, but I was, there was already a log jam there and there's only so many minutes and there's four bigs, like four bigs that had at least one moment this season for Tennessee, mm-hmm. at least one, in some cases more. Um, and it feels like if there's going to be some attrition, it seems, I mean, in terms of the people, because when I hear third when I hear potentially a third player, I'm not thinking the perimeter. I'm not thinking about those guys like, you know, the Quentin kid. Um, I'm not thinking names like that. I'm thinking people who were, I I don't think it would be like, to me, I don't, doesn't feel like a kid like Powell Uh, because that kid transferred to Tennessee knowing how Rick Barnes was. But he also sat there and watched how, you know, he may have been hard on me, but, man, he's really hard on Kennedy. Man, he's hard on Kennedy. And it seemed to work out in the end. I mean, so um, it just feels like if there's there's a log jam on the interior because you've got a bunch of young kids that want to play, but you've also got Eurosh and you've also got Olivier. So, like, you've got the two that kind of had their moments of freshmen, but you've got the two kids that are going to be seniors next year as well. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, there feels like that is as likely of a place where you're going to see some attrition. And so you, if you're going to lose those two and look for everything that we've, all the things that we can say about Kamwa and Eurosh, uh, they've both struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, they both had struggles. Last year was a good year for each one of them. Olivier didn't really play well against quality competition for a good portion of the year. Before he got hurt, he was. Um, there were a couple of games I felt like he was their best player. Uh, Eurosh is going to Eurosh. And and I don't mean that bad because that dude grew <laughs> that dude grew on a lot of people this year. Yeah. Um, I think people just had to realize what he was. I think that was the thing with him. It was never that he wasn't. It's just I I feel like he came to Tennessee with perhaps unfair expectations with, uh, you know, the free Eurosh. And there was just this yearning to maintain what had happened the year before when Eurosh got there. We got to maintain that, man. This guy's going to get us back in the tournament. He's better than Kyle Alexander at this point. We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. And now I think the expectations have just kind of been managed as to what he is. He's a good player. He's probably going to lead the country in getting other people technical fouls, although he, but while never getting one, which is an amazing skill, by the way, amazing skill. Um, he may get one, whatever. He's an amazing teammate. He's a, good, he's a he's a really good basketball player, but I think people just realize what he is. Um, but I feel like you kind of need to get somebody else there. I, I, I'm for me, I, like you mentioned the Stevens kid from VMI. The kid that's been developed. Uh, he's always been a good, pretty decent player. Really exploded the last two years. Um, and we were averaging basically 20 and nine, shooting 45, 48% from three-point range. Mm-hmm. And that range, and he took 153s. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a special skill. 
I mean, that's, that has the one, that has sort of one, like the one hit wonder appeal that a guy like Brady Manic had. And we saw what he, what just happened with him. Um, and like, that's the type of guy, he, he kind of changes what you do on offense because he can shoot that, but he can also post up and he can send some of those other kids out. Um, so for me, that would be a type of kid that I would maybe take a shot on. Um, as far as guards, I mean, you mentioned the kid from Kansas State. Seems like a good fit. I don't know. Again, I don't know enough about the rest of who Tennessee is going after. But like, if you can get some combination of a a big who can consistently hit shots on the perimeter, shoot thirty eight to forty two percent somewhere in that range. Get a guard that can hit shots, and then you return all the other pieces that you expect to get back. It's like you, like you, unless the kid goes overseas, I, I imagine this Beskovi's coming back. Um, and then you do that with the other, you know, I, I, you get the other guys, Josiah. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm there. Meshack. Ziegler, you get those other guys, and all of a sudden you're right back in the top. You're you're a top twenty. I've seen some preseason stuff that has them like 50, in the fifteen to twenty range. Um, you get a couple pieces and filter in the gaps, and you're you're just as good next season. Uh, your point guard's not as explosive. It is what it is. BJ Edwards is really good, really good, and I think that's pretty much the only difference from last year. To this year so we'll see what happens with the roster you know we're in what I mean we're barely in April so we don't know what this roster is going to look like yeah right now we're we still again as you mentioned like a guy could transfer it and I, I think it's interesting you said that you don't think it'll be wing because I think that's I, I I think like you said I, there's a couple of different guys like kind of circle and say I, I think this could be who it is so uh it just won't surprise me unless again unless it's a josiah or, or something like that that transfers it, no no one else is going to surprise me um in terms of transferring off the roster i don't i don't think um he, he would obviously I, I, josiah's a, a tennessee guy he's a rick martin's guy through and through he, he's a he's like an admiral schofield in terms of i mean it's a bad bad example i'd say grant but he's not a three-year player so josiah's his own guy he, he's he's a tennessee rick martin's guy that i mean we saw the interview after tennessee won the sec tournament title like the interview that Josiah gave and how uh, just emotional he was and the things he talked about Rick Barnes, you know, saying that he wouldn't be here without him. So I think he, I think he'll, again, he's not going anywhere. So I'm going to stop talking about him, but literally Gene, as we're talking here, like 10 minutes ago, as of recording this here at, on a uh, Wednesday night, John Rothstein just tweeted out that uh, LSU transfer Brandon Murray tells me that he will visit Tennessee, Illinois, and Georgetown. An official decision from him is expected on Monday. So Monday, April 11th is when Brandon Murray is supposed to be making his official decision. And he's going to be visiting Tennessee, Illinois, and Georgetown. Uh, one of those is not like the other. Uh, granted, Georgetown has a really good history, but they were, uh, they've were they been awful lately. But Tennessee and Illinois obviously have not been. Uh, we, I think we've talked about Murray on the podcast before, Gene, but he's a guy who's about a 6'5 guard who, uh, not, a, not a terrible shooter. He was a 33% shooter from three this past season for LSU, but he's also actually an SEC play. He's even better. He shot about 35% from three, but he's a guy who is a um, pretty good defender. 
and he also averaged for the season 10 points, three boards, basically two assists, and a steal per game on the year. Uh, shot 48, 49% from two, 67% from free throw line, so not great there. But he's he's known as a, being a very solid defender. If I remember right, I'm going to look up his, his game log because I feel like he torched Tennessee in one of the games when they played LSU. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like he did. But he's a guy who is considered one of the top transfer options currently in the, in the portal right now. Um, yeah, he played, so when he played Tennessee at LSU, he scored 13, which isn't bad, but then he, he dropped 15. So he, he didn't torch Tennessee, but he had some good games against Tennessee. Uh, scored 13 and the win against Tennessee, then scored 15 and the loss in Knoxville against Tennessee. Uh, shot pretty well from both those games. Four of eight in the home game and seven of 12 in the uh, road game against Tennessee. So, He's not a bad option. He's a guy who, again, he he picked it up kind of as the year went along. LSU obviously dropped off a lot as a team as the year went along. But uh, he would be an interesting prospect or interesting, I guess, addition, whatever, how you want to word it, for me, Gene, because he's a guy that um, he's a – he fits into that backcourt. I, I guess he's kind of a combo guard. Like, I, I wouldn't want him to be a, your primary ball handler by, ball handler by any means. But he's a guy that can take some pressure off of a Vescovy, a pressure off of, you know, some of the younger guards that are, uh, you know, the point guards with BJ Edwards and uh, Ziegler there. But I think Brandon Murray is just a guy that I think he plays defense how Rick Barnes likes defense being played. He was an SEC all-freshman this past year. He's an interesting one. I don't know. It, it To me, this is not based off any inside information, not based off of anything I've seen, like, online and message boards or anything like that. But it just seems to me almost like if I were him, Illinois maybe makes more sense than Tennessee, just because I I look at Tennessee's backcourt and I think where exactly do I I fit in? Because Vescovy is going to start. Josiah is going to start at that three, maybe at the four. You're going to have BJ Edwards or, I mean, probably Ziegler starting at point. I I guess maybe if you, if you start small ball, like, so if you go with a Camelot at the five and then you go, um, Josiah at the four, then I guess that three spots open and that's where you, you could slot in Phillips there. And maybe he feels like, you know, or Murray, excuse me, is that's where he feels like he could start there. And you, you have Huntley Hatfield and Urosh coming off the bench. And then I guess also um, at that point, Jonas Adu as a, as a bench player too, at the, the post. But like, I, I, I feel like if I'm him, maybe I don't know Illinois roster situation. Cause I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of Illinois. So I don't watch them as much and don't know their roster as much. But if, if they have more, an easier path to playing time. If I'm Brandon Murray, I don't know that I would go from a, a place like LSU where I was averaging, uh, what was his minutes per game? He, Cause he played in all 30, he played 33 games. He's averaging 31 minutes a game. I don't know if I'm going to go somewhere where I was playing 31 minutes a game and was getting you know a good amount of touches on offense and, you know, playing well on defense to a place where I'll be maybe making, you know, maybe playing 20 ish minutes a game and, and maybe sometimes not even doing that. So I, that's an interesting one to me it is, Brandon Murray. I think it's it's good Tennessee's interested there and good that he's getting they're getting the visit from him, but he would I think he would be a benefit to the team. I just don't know exactly where he would fit it unless Tennessee is committed to going more of that small ball lineup more consistently next season like like they did a lot this past season. Yeah. Um to my previous statement, you know, if you're getting if you're going after a guy like Murray it would almost suggest that one of the pieces that you made this third potential piece may be a guard. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the, 
Illinois because I'm sitting here looking at the roster because I just saw Illinois play like three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, and, I, <laughs> and as we see here, I still have this Illinois paperwork. Um, the three starting guards, Trent Frazier, senior. Um, Alfonso Plummer's graduate. Um, Andre Corbello, transfer portal. He was a sophomore. Uh, and just just for good measure, just to remind people, Omar Payne. Um, uh, yeah. Just want to throw that name out there since I forgot it last week. But, yeah, so there's obviously – a situation there uh if, if that's what he if that's what he chooses to go the route he chooses to go um yeah like I, I don't know enough i know the sorts of guards that will typically went after and so just based off of what that is what that looks like that's a different sort of guard than what um they typically have. I mean, with you know, but you're talking about a kid who's big bodied. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's he's six five, two hundred fifteen pounds. You know, strong. Um, had a good season. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to see how well he shot it. I mean, not a good shooter. Not, it wasn't. But, yeah, he, he's not. He's more of a. Yeah. He's more of a. I think I feel like a defensive minded guy. Like first, but he's he's not an awful shooter either by any stretch of the means yeah. either. Yeah, like LSU under Will Wade was not going to – they were going to have a team full of dudes who may not shoot it great, but sometimes could get streaky. Um, and But that's just tough, hard-nosed guys. Is, um, which is – I'm again, I'm sitting here looking. I mean, you know, Murray has some good games. Uh, he's a good player. He'd be a good fit. I think my only question is, at this point in your career, are you willing to be a role player? Right. Yeah. You know, at this point, you know, like you've, once you, it's not like he's coming from UTC, like you're coming from power five basketball, literally the same league, same conference. Yeah. I think you play against us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how well would you adapt going in? Because, you know, based off what we know today on April 6th, um, we believe, well, what we know is that BJ Edwards is coming in. That's the kind of Ziegler is going to have a role. Um, that jo- Josiah Jordan James is still on the roster. I mean, now we believe Vescovy Ves- will be on the roster. Um, those are the things that we know, and plus one thing we believe. So if you're going to give me those four names, <sighs> I'm not sure you take, I don't not, I'm not sure you take that spot. Yeah, from the guys like the kid will probably end up at Georgetown or something. But uh, there is certainly a space at Illinois, and there's certainly space at Georgetown. But I think this the biggest thing for me is there's a reason that Tennessee has reached out to him and he's visiting. That's not by accident. Like he's not. It's, we're, we're past the days of fake recruitment. And he's out here, you know, propping up visits that actually aren't happening. Um, so there's some reason for the interest from Tennessee. And maybe, you know, like, is the kid a COVID sophomore or is he truly a sophomore? Um, oh, he'll, I'm sorry, he was for, he'll be, okay, so he was, 
he was he's a not coaching. This past he'll year. be yeah. a, he'll be a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, like maybe there's a Josiah Jordan James sort of factor there. He's a little bit shorter. Uh, maybe he could be the next that. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I, I'll be intrigued to see where that recruitment goes because obviously this time next week, the next time we sit down and talk about this stuff, a, de- a decision should have been made. Unless for some reason we're doing this thing on Sunday because it's some emergency pod situation, um, a decision will have been made as far as Murray's concerned. And right, uh, I'm just trying to figure out where he uh, he's talking about making a decision Monday. Is he visiting any of these schools? Yeah, he's visiting. So apparently he's visiting all three. And I'm guessing from that timeline he's going to start visiting like tomorrow, like on Thursday. I guess well, most people listening to this will be today. You're what I'm saying Thursday, but like visiting Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I guess is when he's going to go visit those, which I mean, I, I guess, so he's from, uh, Baltimore. So I guess maybe he starts up there at Georgetown and then goes down to Illinois and then goes down to Tennessee. Like that, I guess if, if he's back home, like if he's not still down in, in Louisiana, cause he's probably, I guess, still in school. So maybe he starts at Tennessee and then moves up. I don't know that he's got to visit him soon. If he's making a decision Monday and he says he's going to be, he goes Tennessee, Illinois, Georgetown. Yeah. And then maybe spends the day with his family and makes the decision. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, that's a lot of work to put into five days. But yeah, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're talking to a person that took two weeks to, you know, to recover from a uh, from driving to and from Pittsburgh. So I, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Just that just does not sound like a good idea to me. But you know, like I don't get. I don't know how he's going to get there. It's it's all probably you know, flights and stuff, but um, it doesn't sound like fun travel. I don't care if it's flight or car right now. No, that's, that's I, too I, much. I wonder in four days. Yeah, I'm wondering why he. Yeah, I'm wondering why he. Like, I'm wondering if the Monday is like a just a choice, like a self-imposed deadline, because that seems like, like you said, it just seems like a an awful lot of rushing around. Like, if, if I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he has a reason. Maybe he feels like he has to jump in the boat sooner rather than later for schools. But I don't know. That's interesting to me that he's making that decision that quickly, because also like with Tennessee, I feel like can I go back to the LSU connection with the Julian Phillips thing? And you're looking at him like, I don't know the, the spot Tennessee has open right now. Again, they currently only have two open, but if you are getting another transfer, that'll be three. Um, like you, you, you're in a spot where you're not. Well, it's not like last year where you had a lot of spots open. You have some this year. You, you do have more transfers out this year, or a couple of transfers out, and a guy going to the NBA. But last year, Tennessee had, I mean, like wholesale roster change from last season. We we talked about that a lot um, around this time last year and in into May and uh, June of last season. But Tennessee had, I'll go back and count it. But they had uh, obviously Keon and Jaden go into the NBA. But you had Devontae Gaines, you had Drew Pember, you had Corey Walker Jr., and you also had well, Eve Pons went into the NBA as well. So three three NBA draft picks. Well, one of those is a graduating senior. Uh, EJ Anasicki, Devontae Gaines, Drew Pember, and uh, Corey Walker all transferred off the roster last year as well. So, I mean, you had a – that is mentioned seven guys? Yeah, seven guys from that team – all leave and you had so you have a bunch of open spots you had seven open spots to fill uh from last season this year it's a lot different like you can you can 
afford to be pickier. Last year, you had enough spots where you didn't have to be like super picky. You could, so you say, okay, we can add this guy, we can add this guy, we can stash this guy away, you know, with like a Tomba for redshirting. Uh, Adu, we, we, can, we can pick him up late into this, the, the thing. We can get guys to reclassify like Ziegler. Ziegler was the last addition and obviously ended up having a huge impact, but he's a guy who you could take a, you, you, uh, could afford to take a flyer on because at that point, you still had an open roster spot. And you'd say, hey, let's take a flyer on this kid who we've seen play, love what he, we saw on the court from him. Let's take a flyer on him because we still have an open roster spot. That's not going to be the case this year. Like Tennessee can afford to be pickier. You have two spots open right now, and I think you'd like to sign one more high school kid so you don't just have you know just B.J. Edwards coming in as a freshman. You'd like to have a second freshman coming in. Um, so that leaves one spot and then maybe two for a transfer. You know, do, do you want to? This is Brandon Murray for sure the guy you want? And then if you have a th- another one open up, then yeah, you, you have a little more leeway. But you know, if Tennessee is dead set on getting more of a, a combo guard, I don't know that Murray fits that mold. And again, yeah, we're we're speculating just as 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 a fan and as you know, Gene as, as someone who covers basketball at large and in and, and college athletics. But you know, the coaches have a plan. Like I, I don't, I'm not privy to what Barnes, Rod Clark, Justin Ganey, and. Uh, Greg Polinski's plan is and what their, you know, their big board in terms of what they're looking at roster wise and everything. They, they have a plan more than we do. That's for sure uh, for this type of stuff. But um, I just interested that, you know, is, is Brandon Murray like high enough on that list for Tennessee for them to say, we are for sure taking you no matter what else happens on our roster. Or is it a case of, okay, Gene, maybe we'll see some more roster movement here in the next couple of days. And maybe, maybe that'll kind of clear things up and we'll go, okay, well, then that makes sense then. You know, now that this guy's transferred, that opens up that additional spot for Murray. So Tennessee still has two open spots available to pursue a, you know, a freshman and then another potential transfer guy. So again, we're, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. By the time we are done recording, Gene, we could, by the, within 24 hours of this podcast going live, there could be another guy transferring off the roster. I mean, that's, the transfer portal is crazy. We, we think it's crazy right now with the men's game, like, the women's game, we, we, you and I haven't talked about Lady Balls today. I, I'm hopeful to have a Lady Balls podcast recorded uh, either Thursday or Friday of this week. But man, women's game has been, I feel like, even more insane for the transfer portal than the, the men's this year. I mean, Maryland's losing about almost their entire roster to the transfer portal on the women's side of things. So, like, and of course, Lady Balls have already added two transfers as well with Jazz Powell and, and Rakia Jackson. So, um, Again, things are in flux. We're we're in very early April. The the season literally just ended this week. Monday was the 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 you know the championship game. So, uh, who knows what's going to happen? This time last year, Tennessee had gotten. Uh, I remember looking up as I saw some posts from this time last year on, on like your memories on Facebook or my memories on Facebook uh, on the page for Vol Basketball Fever Gene and was talking about Tennessee landing. Um, I think Justin Powell as a transfer. So, or maybe it was. Is that the Justin Powell or it was it was Adu or it was one of the, it was either like a, a big time like maybe Quentin DeBonge it was either a, a recruit like commit or Justin Powell transferring but Tennessee still had I think at that point yeah it was a commit because they had five guys committed to them in the class counting I think Powell or whatever so like, I was like well that's five guys they ended up adding another couple on there so like we, we this time last year Tennessee had most of the the class kind of figured out but they still had open spots available and you know didn't have the full roster figured out this time last year. And of course last year, the timeline was different because of COVID too. So we, who knows Gene, like I said, by the time you now record next week, Brandon Murray will have made a decision whether it's Tennessee, Illinois or Georgetown, maybe another guy transfers off the roster. Maybe Tennessee gets a commitment from another guy. Maybe Tennessee picks up another transfer. I, I who knows what's going to happen between now and next Tuesday, Wednesday, when we record next week. Uh, welcome to college basketball in 2022 yeah. <laughs> where, like 
the roster that you see in the what 48 hours after the season ends may not be the roster a month from now and it's so it's such a fluid situation that week to week you could be talking about a player that you had not even thought about the week before Mm -hmm. in some cases these things happen so quickly where a kid will get rumored to a school and then all of a sudden he's visiting and then he's committing and it's like where does kid come from but then you're looking and you know maybe he's a high school kid because obviously you know i'm keenly aware that um live recruiting starts this like this weekend like the first NCAA live period is this weekend Do Tennessee coaches go out to one of these tournaments. There's a couple in Atlanta. Um, uh, I think they're all in Atlanta this weekend. I believe I can't, I'm not hundred percent sure, but you know, you're in Atlanta, like are all the coaches there? Are they evaluating certain kids? Are they trying to bring in a high school kid, a kid that maybe you hadn't thought about who just happened, who blows up one weekend and has all the metrics mm-hmm. that a coach wants. Maybe a kid who is, injured during the year, just got healthy. Like you just never know. And so this time next week, it could be a completely different recruiting board. The week after that, completely different. Maybe a kid, you know, maybe Brandon Murray chooses another school. And guess what? There's going to be another Brandon Murray because that's college basketball in 2022. Um, It'll eventually work itself out um, because the COVID year stuff throws a lot of stuff off too. Mm -hmm. And we're in year, what, year one of that technically? Um, yeah, I think so. You're, yeah, you're one of that technically. And so you've got all these kids who are, you know, freshmen. Like UTC's got a kid who's going to be a fourth-year freshman because he had a – he redshirted. Um, he played in 1920, which is the COVID season. And then this year he had blood clots uh, in his leg. Oh. And – so next year, he's you know planning on being back, and he'll be a fourth year freshman. But the COVID wow. stuff throws so much off, and you know you say it, and it sounds funny. And you know he and I laughed about it a few weeks back, but it's the truth. Like you know these numbers, and not everybody has to use that year. Let's be clear: kids can just you know leave and start school. Um, and but you know, like John Fulkerson took his year. And so everybody's like, how, how was it? How, Cause he took the COVID year. And so it, it throws all these metrics off. What is really, you know, really Josiah, Kamwa, that class, those guys are sophomores, right? They're about to be juniors. Uh, Well, no, uh, Josiah's going to be a senior. Them. Yeah. He, he, this well, will be his fourth year and this will be, but yeah, no, yeah, Kamwa's fourth year too. But yeah, but I'm saying, but with the COVID year, oh right, still, you're saying that's by, what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think technically they'd be fourth year they'll, juniors, maybe. Yeah, they'll be COVID juniors next year. Yeah. That's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Like mm-hmm. technically, this is his. He just played his COVID sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And look at this level; these kids are less likely to use all. I mean, he may graduate and decide to go somewhere else or something. But why would you leave Tennessee right now? And yeah, you know, <laughs> you know or, or like in the next two years, it's like why would you leave? Um, so like, yeah, it's just, the metrics are just completely out of whack. They've changed so much. It's crazy. Um, but you know, like as a coach, you know, said today, you know, I don't, you know, I may not love the current state of where we're going, but you better adjust 
<laughs> he said, you better adjust or you're going to get left behind. And so like, we all have to like wrap our mind around the portal and just how fluid these situations are going to be uh, and try to understand what these situations are because they're always going to be changing, always going to be changing. Well, Gene, I'm sure as the listeners have heard, uh, there's a storm coming here in Knoxville tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and end the podcast because the thunder is starting to get a little louder here. And plus we've talked and I was going to end the podcast around this point anyway. So, uh, again, appreciate all of you for tuning in. If you guys have questions, I, I think maybe next time we do an episode, we'll obviously have, I'm sure news to cover whether it's Brandon Murray or not. Um, but I think we're, we're due for a, we're due for a mailbag episode here soon. So I may, I may you know stick around, look on Twitter at, at vol hoops fever on Twitter. And we may be asking for some questions from our listeners here, uh, soon to do a mailbag episode. Cause I, I think we're, be nice to because I'm sure it'd be a mix of talking about the season, talking about looking ahead and things like that. So be on the lookout. If it's not this next week, it'll be the part of the week after next. But we'll, we'll be asking some questions from you guys uh, for an episode here soon for a, a mailbag episode of, of All Basketball Fever. But again, thank you all for tuning in. As I mentioned, top of the show, subscribe if you haven't. Leave us a nice five star review. We'd appreciate that a ton. And just again, thank you for all the support. We really appreciate it. Been doing this for a Vol specific one for over a year now. So it's been a lot of fun. And pretty rewarding. Appreciated all the uh, feedback and all the um, comments and everything you guys leave on social media and on the YouTube and stuff. We we started back in December or I guess November as well. But signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.